Once again, good morning. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you, by show of hands, made some kind of New Year's resolution this year? Anybody? Okay. Few people, two, three, four, five maybe, made some kind of resolution this year. I've made some. I'm not going to share those with you, but I've made some. Um, and, and we'll see come December the 31st if I kept them or not. But um, do you know that 45% of all Americans will make some kind of New Year's resolution, but only 8% will actually keep that resolution? And over the years, the most popular New Year's resolutions that people make and then break are these. Lose weight get in shape, stop smoking, quit drinking, eat healthier, get out of debt, get organized. And some of those may be things that you've done in the past. You've made that resolution that you kept. Some of those you may not have kept, but those are the most popular ones that people make and then break. As believers, what are some resolutions that we should make? You know, what are some things that we should do as believers um, going into this new year that we should commit to do better? Um, How about love our neighbor? I mean, we should love our neighbor more. I mean, after all, Jesus said the greatest command that I give to you is that we would do that. Um, We should pray more. You know, I don't know about you, but I know that I need to, to pray more. Spend time in God's word more. After all, God's voice to us occurs as we read his word to us. Um, We should help the poor. We should take care of our widows, and we should share the gospel more with people as well, right? Um, Some of you may know who Jonathan Edwards um, was, but he was one of the greatest theologian, um, uh, you know, to ever grace um, this world. And as a 17-year-old young man, um, he Um, came up with a list of resolutions that he made it a commitment of his to live out on a daily basis. And two of those resolutions, one is this, I will live for God. Resolution two is this, if no one else does, I will. That was a commitment that he made. And, And God would use Jonathan Edwards to usher in one of the greatest revivals this country has ever seen that literally spread around the world. William Barclay, who's, um, if, if you're familiar with commentaries, he, he has written one, just an amazing theologian and man of God. He once said this, a man will never become outstandingly good at anything unless that thing is his ruling passion. There must be something of which he can say, for me to live is this. What did Paul say was was his reason for living? He said, for me to live is Christ, didn't he? Last week, Connor um, did a great job as he shared with us. And one of the challenges that he left us with is a challenge that he commits each day um, to ask himself, and that was this, what is your mission for me today? That was a, that's a prayer that he asked of the Lord. What is your mission for me today? Every Every day is a new day, a new day given to us, for us, by God, for us to use for His good and for the good 
of others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 13 together. Now, let me go ahead and tell you this, okay? Because I know some of you in this room well enough because you've come up to me enough after church and you've told me um, you didn't do this blank or I didn't get that blank and I left that blank blank. Now, I need to put something in that blank. Um, So let me go ahead and tell you, for those of you that have a problem with that, this morning you're going to have a real difficult time, okay? Because I've added a point um, to the very beginning. I've added some scripture, a few verses to that, and then we are actually only going to cover two points today. One of those wasn't even a point on the paper, and so there's going to be a few blanks on your page today, okay? We're going to break this message up into two weeks is why we are doing this, and so I just want you to know now, you can just put whatever you want in those, those, those last four blanks on your piece of paper, and go ahead and add another blank at the top, and we'll hit the first two. Now, here's what I want us to, to be aware of this morning. Um, the Corinthian church was, was, um, had some good people in it, but it was not the most healthy church around. Um, as Paul writes 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we get an idea of just some of the problems that were present within this church. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, um, it was a church that Paul was concerned about because there was division within it. In 1 Corinthians 5, we learn that there is sexual morality present within the church. In 1 Corinthians 6, members were suing other members. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us that there were false apostles in the church posing as teachers. They were, they were claiming to be believers, and they weren't believers at all. You know, it's interesting when you think about the Corinthian church. Um, this was a, 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 a fairly young church at this point. When a problem happened within that church, that problem had to be addressed by the people that made up that church. Um, they didn't have the, the, the I don't want to even want to call it a convenience that we have, um, but back in those days, there was not a church on every single corner within the city of Corinth. There was probably one church, okay? And so when a person had a problem in that church, they couldn't run from that problem. They couldn't go from one church to another church. They had to address that problem. Think about um, our, our modern society that we live in, okay? Today, if I don't like you, guess what I can do? I can leave. Um, if I don't like the preacher, guess what? I can go somewhere else and there's a better preacher. If I don't like the worship, I'll go on down the street and worship with someone that I like, a style that, that I prefer over this style or that style or whatever. Um, you know, I, I kind of don't like people that much. And so nowadays I can go to Bedside Baptist. There's enough churches in the area that have these things called online churches. So I can wear my pajamas, I can sit in my bed, I can open up my screen, and I can worship and I can listen to a message. And if I want to give online, I can do that as well. Um, and 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 you don't have to go to church on Sunday anymore. Um, now, if you don't like Sunday morning, you can go on Friday night, or you can go on Saturday night, you can go on Sunday morning, or even Sunday night. We, can, we have choices today. 
Back in the early days, there were no choices. And so when there was a problem, that problem had to be addressed. And that is exactly what Paul has been doing as he's, writ- as he's been writing to the Corinthians. And so I just want us to be aware of that as we dive into our focal passage this morning. It'll help us understand this over the next couple of weeks. But once again, today we have choices. The Corinthians did not have those choices. So when we see Paul encourage people when encouraging is needy, needed. Love people when love is needed. Correct people when correction is needed. If there was a bad apple in that church, guess what? That bad apple had to be removed from the church, and there was church discipline that happened in this first church, okay? So that gives us a little bit of an idea of, of, of what we're dealing with and who um, the Corinthians were, and it, it helps us even more appreciate our focal passage this morning, okay? So once again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, we read these words. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, how many of you believe that God is doing a new thing? Do you believe that God is doing something new in your life? If he's not, then that's a problem, right? That is a me problem, most likely. If you can't say this morning that God is doing something new in my life. Notice our first point this morning. It is this. In Christ, we are controlled by his love. In verse 13, again, we read, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for God you. How many of you have ever known someone to, to do something pretty radical for love's sake? Have you ever known anybody to do something radical for love's sake? I, I've heard stories, even of members in this church that, um, that, that um, were war vets, and they met somebody and, and courted them for about two days, got married, The guy went off to war, fought for his country, came home, and and, and lived happily ever after for 60 plus years. When we think about stories like that, we think that's pretty radical. 
Um, because today, that's not how we do things, is it? Today, we, we, we date for, for a long period of time, or the average person dates for an extended period of time. Um, they, they shack up for an extended period of time to make sure they like each other and they can live with each other, and eventually get, get to the point maybe where they get engaged, and then they um, get married. Um, It's a long, long process. And so when you hear stories about a person that meets and and courts for a short time and gets married, that is radical in in today's society. But love causes people to do some pretty radical things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul has been defending himself for the sake of Christ. In fact, he calls himself a madman. Um, why would he call himself a madman? Because other people probably called him a madman, called him a crazy man because of the things that he did for the sake of Christ. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, we read these words. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Paul goes on to list all of the things that he's done for the sake of Christ. He talks about how he was imprisoned for a number of times. He had been beaten to the point of death. He had received 39 lashings on five different occasions. He had been beaten with rods three times. He had been stoned once. He had been shipwrecked three times. He went hungry and thirsty um, frequently as he was serving the Lord. And, and goes on to say that he faced danger from robbers, from Gentiles, from Jews. He was a madman according to others because he subjected himself to such hardships. He did it, though, for Christ's sake, because the love of Christ in him compelled him to love others as Christ loved them. Christ should cause all of us to do radical things, shouldn't he? When I think about... um, about people that have done some pretty radical things. Um, I've shared this story before, but, but it just hits um, my heart because I've had the opportunity on number, a number of times to go down to Ecuador on mission trips. And this summer, we're going to be going back to Ecuador um, on a mission trip. And, and most of us in here are familiar with Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and, and, and their, and their um, co-laborers in the gospel. But these two men and a few others with their families went to Ecuador with the sole purpose of reaching unreached people groups with the gospel. And one such such unreached people group that they were committed to reaching were the Aka Indians. And and the thing about this group of people is before they were introduced to Christ, they were complete savages. Um, they, They murdered anyone that got close to them or that were appeared to be a threat to them. At the turning of the 20th century, there were some rebel trap, rubber trappers that were down in the Ecuadorian rainforest, and they got too close to these Indians, and they killed them there on the spot. In the 40s, they, they murdered multiple Shell oil employees that were down there um, 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 drilling for oil. On, no, on January the 8th, 1956, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and two other men were murdered by these people. Why did they have to die? Man, were they not doing the work of the Lord? Were they not going into those Ecuadorian jungles with the 
with the, the mission from God to go and reach those unreached people groups with the gospel? Why did they have to die? You know, I don't have an explanation for that. But what I can tell you is that as a result of their death, that unreached people group became a reached people group with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Several years after these men had lost their lives for Christ, a, 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 a member that was, was present that day when Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and those other men were murdered shared his testimony at a meeting here in the States. He said these words. He said, I counted on his fingers and said, I have killed 12 people with my spear, but I did that when my heart was black. Now Jesus' blood has washed my heart clean, so I don't live like that anymore. God's love changed that man. God's love drove Nate Saint and Jim Elliott into those Ecuadorian jungles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They never had the opportunity to share the gospel with them, but their family members did. And that is a reach people group today because of a radical love story that resulted, yes, in men's death, but we know that their death was their gain because when they took their last breath here on this side of eternity, they were ushered into the presence of the Lord. And that will happen to all of us one day that are believers. We're going to take our final breath on this side of eternity and we'll be ushered into the presence of the Lord. And, 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 and will, will there be some in this room that die a martyr's death? I don't know. It may happen. But if they die a martyr's death, we can be certain that the gospel was introduced to a people or a people group because of the death of one or more's radical commitment to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ's love calls people to do radical things, things that many people just don't understand. Notice again what we read in verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. For the love of Christ controls us. Other translations says that the love of Christ constrains us. This comes from a Greek word, syneche. And, and, and I want to share with you, syneche, I want to share with you what this word means. And as I read these different meanings to you, just think to yourself, man, this is the kind of love that my God has for me. Okay? It, this word means to hold together. It means to hem in. It means to press in on every side, to hold fast, to hold in charge, to constrain. That's the kind of love that God has for each of us in this room. The visual I get um, with this is the love of Christ is pressing in on us on every side. Have you ever watched a movie and and? The heroes of that movie are, are, are trapped in maybe it's a, some kind of trash can, um, traption and all of a sudden they're, all the walls begin to close in on them. And, and that's what I think about when I think about Christ's love for us, how God's love is just pressing in on us from every side. Um, most of you are aware of this, but over the past few weeks we've actually had two of our church members that have had open heart surgery. 
Okay, Debbie's here this morning. Um, and Pat Shipley is still in the hospital this week. He had open heart surgery. And both of them um, had the surgery over at a hospital in Plano. And, and when I went to visit them, they had these giant red heart pillows. And, and um, Debbie had everybody sign her pillow. But as I th- was thinking about this message and, and, and thinking about that pillow, you know, that pillow serves as a security blanket after someone has open heart surgery. If, if their chest is hurting, they can press on that pillow a little bit and it makes them feel a little bit better. If they're about to cough, they're, they're instructed to hold that pillow tight to, to help with the, the pain management. And I think about that pillow is us, Okay. And the arms of the Lord are wrapping us up, and He is pressing in on us every moment of every day, and He's loving us. That's what it means to, that, that God's love compels us or constrains us. Think back to the moment of your salvation. Do you remember the transformation that took place in your life? In an instant, you were forgiven of your sins. In an instant, you became a child of God. In an instant, a weight was probably removed from you. And and you experienced God removing your sins as far as the east is from the west. And you were set free by Christ's love. That love of Christ just wrapped you up in his arms and, and the Holy Spirit entered into your life. And, and, and man, it was an awesome time. You know, sometimes over the course of our lives, we go through these times where we're like, God, it feels like I'm alone here. Man, like, like I'm doing this alone or I'm going through the motions. I want you to know right now, you're not alone if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is in you and God's love and arms are around you and he's pressing in on you every moment of every day, showing you and demonstrating to you his great love for you. In verse 15, we read, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We don't live for ourselves anymore. That's what radical love does. Radical love causes us to live for, for, for Christ. When I got married to my wife, I began to live my life making sure that she is protected making sure that she has a roof over her head and that, she, that, 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 that I'm there for her if she needs me. When we had kids, we were instructed to raise our kids. And we, we, man, we're probably overly protective of our kids. But that's what love does. It causes us to do radical things, to, to overly protect. And I want you to know right now, you are overly protected by God because that's what God's love has done for us. C.S. Lewis once shared these words. He said, the Christian way is different. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth 
or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Greatest radical love story this world has ever seen occurred when Jesus Christ left heaven and came and dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross and he died on that cross for our sins. Three days later, he rose to life again. About 40 days later, he ascended to be with the Father. And then a few days after that, the Holy Spirit came and indwelled those, those early believers in the upper room. On that first day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. And since then, this radical love story has been on and going, ongoing, and ongoing. That is a radical love story, and we have that radical love within us, and we have within us the ability to share that radical love story with other people. What radical thing is the Lord calling you to this year? What radical thing is the Lord saying, do this, go here, share with? What is it that the Lord is doing in your life. Notice our second point, or if you want to consider it your first point in your bulletin, um, in Christ we are new creations. In verses 16 and 17 we read, from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, the first part of verse 16 says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why don't we regard people according to the flesh? Why don't we judge people by how they look or how they talk or how they act? Why? Because Christ calls us to judge people differently. The world tends to lump people into groups or categories or classes, don't they? We have the rich and the poor, the smart and the unintelligent, the beautiful and the ugly, the winners and the losers, the successful people and the failures. We have the Democrats over here and we have the Republicans over here. These are all categories the world has come up with. And if you are not in the right category or in the right column, you are deemed to be a second-class citizen. You know, Samuel was guilty of that, wasn't he? You remember whenever Samuel went to anoint the second king of Israel? He shows up and he asks Jesse to bring out all of his sons. And he takes one look at the oldest son, Eliab, and he said, surely this is the one. Eliab must have been taller than all the rest, more muscular than all the rest, prettier than the rest. He was probably an all-Israeli kind of man. But the Lord told Samuel what? The Lord said this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Isn't that good news this morning? That the Lord doesn't judge us by how we look on the outside. He judges us by the condition of our heart. You know, there are only two categories by which Jesus will ultimately judge us. Are we sa saved or are we not saved? 
Those are the two most important categories from an from a, from a association that we need to be aware of. Are you here this morning and have you been saved? Have you been forgiven of your sins and set free? And have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you have, then you are saved. If you haven't, then you would be in the category of the unsaved. And if you are in the category of the unsaved, I want you to know that Scripture is very clear that you will spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. One day, Every single person in this room will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will have to give an account for the things that we've done here on earth. And if we are found to be a believer, then we will receive a reward. If we are found to be an unbeliever, then the Lord is going to cast us into the eternal lake of fire. These are not my words. These are words straight from the Bible. There are two categories that matter. There is the saved category and the unsaved category. Which one are you in this morning? I want to just share with you a few more verses about the importance, not of our outward self, but of our inner, according to Paul that he shared to the Corinthians. In in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we read, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What has happened in our heart, that is eternal. You know, I can look around this room and I can say, you know, um, saved, 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 saved. At least from my point of view, that's what I see. But what is important is here in your heart, have you been saved? Have you been set free by Jesus? If you haven't, why haven't you? If you haven't, then don't leave this place this morning not coming to know Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, Paul wrote, For we know that if the, the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. One day we're going to get to spend all of eternity with the Lord in the heavens. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul wrote, For we walk by faith, not by sight. In 2 Corinthians five twelve, For we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. This outer shell is broken at best. It is flawed. If we become as the world and judge people based on their on their wealth or on their beauty or on their smarts or their political leaning, we will not see them as God sees them. Children in desperate need of a savior. You know, when you know when um Nate Saint and, and Jim Elliott went to Ecuador. They, they um, sought to reach a people group that didn't talk to, like them, didn't dress like them, didn't look like them. If they showed up that day and they saw those savages and thought to them, hey, those men um, aren't worthy of the gospel, then the gospel may not have ever penetrated that people. But they didn't look at the outward appearance of those men and those women and those children. They looked at the condition of their heart and recognized that they were in desperate need of a Savior. And after they um, went to be with the Father following their deaths, 
I know that, um, that, that many of their family members ended up penetrating that, that, that group of Indians. And they went and actually lived in the village amongst the men, women, and children that had murdered their loved ones. That is radical love. That is a group of people that looked not at the outward appearance of individuals, but looked upon their heart. In, in verse 17, again, we read these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We read here, if anyone is in Christ. Those two words, in Christ, are some of the most important words in all of the Bible. One writer said that in Christ, or its equivalent, appears 172 times in the New Testament. Paul used that phrase, or its equivalent, 97 times. Here is the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. You and I are in Christ. Christ at the moment of our salvation. That means that we become a child of God. We are grafted into the family of God, and, and we are His possession. And, and if, if we become a follower of Christ, Christ comes into us as well. He comes into us and resides within us. The Holy Spirit enters into our life and becomes our counselor and our guide. You know, um, to, to kind of give us a visual um, this morning, this, this um, clear little cup represents us, okay? And, and right now, this is empty. This cup... Um, on its own, really has no, no purpose, okay? Um, we, without Christ, we have no real lasting purpose. Our purpose are given, is given to us at the moment of our salvation when we realize that our purpose for living is to know Christ and to make him known. This, this glass bowl here um, is full of water, and this water here represents Christ. And at the moment of our salvation, here's what happens. Um, we are filled with Christ. Christ comes in to us. And that's the beauty of salvation. Christ is in us. And, 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 and something else, this, this water, I can pour it out, but when Christ comes into us, there is no pouring Christ out of us because he is in us forever, okay? And so not only is Christ in us, but we are in Christ. Christ is in us, but we're always not only connected because he's in us, but we're also connected to other people that are in Christ, that have entered into a relationship with Christ, that have been grafted in to the family of God. So Christ is in us at the moment of salvation, and Christ is also, we are also in him. Uh, Major Ian Thomas wrote, to be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. To be in Christ, that makes you fit for heaven. But for Christ to be in you, that makes you fit for earth. To be in Christ, that changes your destination. But, but for Christ to be in you, that changes your destiny. The one makes heaven your home. The other makes this world his 
workshop. I, I love that. One makes heaven your home, the other makes this world his workshop. Christ being in us, we become his hands and we become his feet. The thing that happened at the moment of all of our salvation is we became a new person. Our old way of life, it became a thing of the past, but we were given a new life, we were given a new purpose, we were given a new mission, and we were giving, given a, a new destiny as well. Um, David Dyke shares, uh, shared an illustration um, about Pistol Pete Maravich. He was one of the greatest players in, in history. Um, his college scoring record of 44 points per game may never be broken, and that was before a three-point line. He was the NBA's first million-dollar man, but he spent most of his life as a troubled, unhappy man who was a slave to a destructive lifestyle. Some of you remember the Larry King show. Larry King had a nightly news show where he would interview everyone from, from um, celebrities to small-town heroes. And I always loved the Larry King show and, and would watch it frequently. But back in the 80s, Larry King had, um, had um, open-heart surgery. And while he was recovering from that surgery, he received a letter from, from Pete Maravich, also known as Pistol Pete. Um, and Pistol Pete had recently appeared on his program, but he wrote these words to Larry King. He said, Dear Larry, I'm so glad to hear that everything went well with your surgery. I want you to know that God is watching over you every minute. And even though I know you question that, I also know that one day it will be revealed to you. My prayer is that you remain open and God will touch your life as he has mine. Once I was a dis disbeliever. When I could not fill my life with basketball, I would simply substitute sex, liquid drugs, or material things to feed my internal shell-like appearance. I was never satisfied. I finally realized after 40 years that Jesus Christ is in me. My life is under new management. He will reveal his truth to you, Larry, because he lives. It was signed, your friend, Pete Maravich. Larry King got this letter on a Monday, and on Tuesday, um, Pistol Pete was playing basketball with James Dobson, and he fell over dead right there on the spot. He was wearing a shirt that day that said, looking unto Jesus. Here's what we know about Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete was ready to die. He had become a new creation and his life was under new management. If any person is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. When we become followers of Christ, we are under new management. It is a better management system too, isn't it? It is a perfect management system and Jesus lives within us. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you experienced the radical transformation that occurs when Jesus enters into an individual's life? If you haven't, let me ask you this, why not? I mean, here's the thing. I mean, think back to earlier in our message when I made, um, quoted the, the, the Aka Indian. He, he said these words after sharing that he had killed 12 men. He said, now Jesus' blood has washed my heart clean 
so I don't live like that anymore. You know, when we become Christ followers, we don't live like we used to live because we've been made new. We are under new management because of what Jesus has done for us. You are a new creation set apart by God for great things. You know that, don't you? You know, this. we've got a brand new year in front of us. What are we going to do this year different than what we have done in previous years? My prayer is this, that we daily spend time with the Lord. We daily commune with the Lord through prayer. And we try on a daily basis to represent Christ well through our lifestyle as well as through proclaiming the good news of salvation with those that the Lord invites us to share with. What has Christ called you to do this year? What radical thing can you look back um, in about 360 days from now and say, man, the radical thing that God did in my life this year was X, Y, and Z. Now, I hope all of us will have stories like that at the end of this year. Have stories of, of maybe somebody sitting next to us in the pew that we had the opportunity to lead to Christ. Maybe um, we, we can share about how we have co-workers now that once were lost, but now they're found because we've shared with them. What kind of radical story will you have at the end of this year? You may be here this morning, and, and, and once again, man, when, when, when we think about life being in categories, there's the saved category and the unsaved category. You may be like, man, I don't know where I stand today. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I want you to know this morning that I'm going to be standing here at the front. We're going to have this a time of invitation. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart and, and saying that, hey, you need to go trust in me, um, I would love to share with you more about how you can do that. I'm going to be standing here at the front. Um, after the service, I will be out in the foyer area or I'll be right over here for a few minutes. And I'd love to share with you how you can become a Christ follower. Um, you may be here this morning. The Lord is leading you to make friendship your church home, and we would love to help you do that as well. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And when I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Father God, Lord, as we conclude um, our time together this morning, Father, I just can't um, help by being overwhelmed by the radical love story that unfolds throughout your word. The love that you demonstrated for all of us in this room when you went to the cross and died for us is, is, is we can't even put words to it. It's unexplainable, that kind of love. But yet, Father, you did it for us. You died for us. You forgave us when we called out to you and asked you to forgive us of our sins. When we called out to you and, and made you the Lord and Savior of our lives and made a commitment that we were going to follow after you, in an instant, we became part of you and you became part of us. Lord, just ask you now, 
If there's someone here that doesn't know you, may today be the day of their salvation, Lord. If there's some here that you're leading to make friendship their church home, Lord, we pray that you will lead them here. Father, just be with us now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.